You're listening to the Library Pros Podcast with Chris and Bob, a techie librarian and a computer IT guy discussing libraries, technology, and all things this side of the reference desk. Thanks, Carl. Hi, and welcome to episode 69 of the Library Pros Podcast. I'm Chris, and Bob is missing in action. We have no idea where he is. He's not in London, is he? I don't think so. I haven't seen him. Okay, so he's not in London. He's not here on Long Island. I think uh, he, I don't know, maybe somebody locked him in the server room and, and threw away the key. But anyway, welcome to the booth here at the Sagem Public Library in Holbrook, New York. The Library Pros podcast is a bi-monthly podcast, so don't forget to subscribe on Apple Podcasts, Google Play, or wherever you get your podcasts. And please check us out on Twitter at, at the Library Pros and on Facebook.com slash Library Pros. Consider leaving a review or tell a friend or colleague because word of mouth is really the best way to help our podcast listenership grow. So today joining us via Google Hangouts. <laughs> After all of our trials and tribulations trying to get ourselves and our connection together is Lara Marshall. So you are the library's group manager of the Hillingdon Library in Hillington Borough, London, UK. Does that sound right? Almost. Well done. Very well done. So I am a, a group manager for the London Borough of Hillingdon's library service. So I manage a group of libraries there. Okay. So we are going to talk with Lara about... Coding programs for kids, the Culture Byte Festival, and libraries and digital culture. But before we dig into those great topics, let's learn about Lara. Now, one thing I know is that we've already had a bunch of laughs before we even started, so this is going to be a lot of fun. So why don't you tell us about the London Library, how it's structured, and how Hillington fits into that structure? Well, the structure is slightly different to the structure that you mentioned Um about libraries in New York and the US. So in London, there are 33 London boroughs and each borough has their own library service. We're in Hillingdon Borough. Um, We have the largest library service. Um, We're the second largest geographically, but also we have the most number of libraries. We have 17 libraries in the borough. And that's because the council has been heavily investing in those uh, over the past uh, 10, 15 years or so. So we've been quite lucky. Uh, I've got an interesting stat for you. Okay, here we go. I'm ready. Wait, wait, wait. Let Um, me buckle in. Ready. Okay, go for it. Over 8 million Londoners have access to a network of 325 public libraries. That's crazy. a lot of libraries. Yeah, yeah. And then as far as Hillingdon, so where I'm based, you have one service manager, eight group managers, of which I'm one, and then 17 branch managers. And that's sort of how our, our structure works. That just scared me a little bit. <laughs> really? <laughs> wow. I mean, I, you know, there might be better ways, but that seems to work for us. I like the way you went with your hand. Obviously, you can't see it on the podcast. So she just kind of waved her hand like... <laughs> Yeah, there must be better ways. Holy uh, cow. No, we're, we're very lucky compared to some other London boroughs. How many boroughs are there in London? 33. Okay, so so here in Suffolk County, um, as many places um, in New York State in one way, shape, or form, the libraries derive their budget from property tax collection. So when you mm-hmm. pay your property taxes, up, there's a portion of it that goes to the library. By the way, plug for Suffolk County libraries. We are the best bargain in town. I think I paid $322 in my property taxes oh, last year for my library. Yeah. So best deal in town. So there are other ways that libraries, you know, receive funds in the U.S. as well. Grants from the state derive their um, their revenue from town uh, revenue or county or city revenue like the city of New York. Tell us how it works with London and Hillingdon. So we've got the 33 boroughs, right? And each one of those boroughs has their own local council. So there's the central government, you know, made up of the prime minister, the MPs. Um, and then we have the local councils um, for each of the London boroughs. So libraries are funded mostly through council tax, which each council will collect from the residents in their particular borough. There is an increasing trend for what's called a community library, which is a library that is run by volunteers. So the council will own the building, but they won't pay for the staffing. I don't know if that's something that's been happening in the US as well, but it's part of some library cutbacks that have been happening in some places. Again, we're very lucky that we have all staff-run libraries in Hillingdon. So excuse me for for being, you know, a dumb American, but 
<laughs> so here, obviously, we have the federal government, then we have state and local. Does your revenue derive directly from the central government, from parliament? So there will be a small percentage that will come directly, um, but most of it comes through the local council tax. Okay, so it's almost like coming from like the, the city council or Let something Let me do like check with my colleague. Oh, no, you're right. somebody on the bus. <laughs> yes. Oh, man. Okay, so it's almost like in, in, in the city of New York, they get it from the city council. Yes, exactly. I'm getting a real lesson. This is great. So how many residents does your library serve in your borough? Obviously, you said it before, 8 million, right? So that's for all of London. Oh, that's all of London. Okay. So how mm -hmm. many do you, do, do you serve just in Hillingdon? And, so, and just to let people who don't, yes. who aren't from New York or aren't from London understand what a borough is, uh, my understanding the way it is here is a borough is like a county. Like a count, it's part yeah, of the city, but it's a county that. within the within the city. Yeah. Like the rest of the UK is divided up into counties. So everywhere apart from London, so it is divided up into counties. So yeah, we're kind of like a, a little mini county because okay. London is so big. But you have how many boroughs? 30? 33. 33. Wow. That's hysterical. Yeah. Wow. <laughs> it's a big place. So tell us how you guys fit into that whole thing. Like, So you have Hillingdon, and obviously you're part of the larger London library network, right? Yes. 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 So you guys do interlibrary alone and, and share your resources, or are you like branches, or are you independent yeah. of each other with like a central library? We some boroughs are more connected than others. We are on the outskirts, so we're right on the edge of London. So we tend to be quite independent. Um, I will meet with other London boroughs. We'll coordinate events together. We'll pull resources occasionally. A lot of the stuff we we do ourselves because we've been quite heavily invested in. It's kind of in our best interest to showcase what we have um, as an as an individual borough, but um, it, it doesn't mean we can't work together on other sort of general London wide events. I've got the um, exact number of well, not exact, but rough number of people that live in Hillingdon, and that's about three hundred and twelve thousand. Okay, so you serve about three hundred and twelve thousand people. Yeah. Yeah, roughly, yeah. Okay. Give so, or take. Okay. And apparently we are the most ethnically diverse borough. Oh, wow, really? Yeah. Well, one of. We've got about 48% residents from uh, Bain backgrounds. So going off script for just a second, talking about the script we said we never use, how is – I don't know if you can answer this right off the top of your head, but have you seen – the trend here in the United States is that the gate count is going down as people – they are They may be coming to the building and coming in, but they're not taking out – like the circulation statistics, they're they're not taking out the traditional library materials as much as you as as they used to. Is it you seeing that there too? To a certain extent, yes. We find that they're being used for a lot more reasons than just issuing books um, or issuing materials that we used to 10, 15, 20 years ago. So we have to evolve with that trend. Um, and make sure we are providing a space that caters for a lot more, including ebooks and audiobooks and all the digital resources that we provide as well. But generally, yes, I, I think that probably goes with the, the national and, and international trend um, that you were speaking about. Because one thing that we see here at uh, the Sachin Public Library is the gate counts are staying pretty consistent, but the circulation materials aren't going out as much as usual but what they're doing is they're coming in for yeah. the programming they're coming in for the tech they're coming in for exactly. the other stuff the the other stuff that used to be non-traditional uh library services yeah. that are now becoming more traditional library services they're coming in for that so it, it and yeah. no matter who we talk to whether it's down under in australia or whether it's over <laughs> with you in the uk or whether it's in california or toronto or just here on long island the trend is the same and I've always, mm -hmm. I've always found that really mm -hmm. fascinating that it's not something that's specific to Suffolk County, Long Island, New York, the United States, the, you know, North America. It's, it's going across borders and it's affecting uh, what I like to call library land as a whole. Yeah. I mean, maybe not in a, a negative way, just a way that has to make us think a little bit outside the box. It's a it's a transitionary period for us. That's what I like to say about it. it yes, it, we're transitioning yeah. because I mean, yes, people are always going to want books. Books are always going to be there, 
that hmm. they're not going away. And and DVDs uh, maybe one day will go away the way VHS went away. Mm-hmm. But there will be something to take its place. There's always going to be that 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 content there. And as libraries start doing new things like maker spaces and providing realia that goes out, like, you know, we loan out Roku sticks and Chromebooks yeah. and stuff like that. As those things become more, I think, valuable or, or value added for the patron, you're going to see libraries transition and transform as they have been evolving over the past 15, 20 years for those mm. non-traditional type of resources and materials. And that's what people are going to keep coming in for. Yeah. And it is for the community. You know, it's a community space to bring people together. And I think a, a lot more of our focus probably recently has been on those making those connections, you know, whether it's about reading or about crafts or about well-being and really focusing on that. And I think a lot of people have come to depend and rely on that, which is a really nice thing. Absolutely. And, it, and again, it doesn't matter where you are on this planet. We're doing the same thing. It's it really is kind of amazing. Yeah, that, that exactly. You're you're speaking the same exact language that I am that we're doing here and we're doing here in Suffolk County and Suffolk mm. and Nassau County and it's exactly the same. So it, it's good to see that we're kind of all in this together. Yeah, absolutely. And that's a really quite beautiful thing, really, that that's international. Yeah, definitely. It really, really is. So we're going to talk about some of the cool stuff you guys are doing over there at Hillingdon. But tell us, and we're going to talk about that in our next segment. But can you tell us some of the things that you do there that's, you know, kind of cool and different and off the beaten path uh, above and beyond what we're going to talk about in a few? Mm. Uh, Throw a curveball at you, didn't I? Oh, my God. I don't know what to say. I wasn't prepped for this. Um, (laughs) We we do. um, Well, we have lots and lots of different events and activities. We're really trying to get more into social media. So the libraries, we have our own Twitter and Instagram and Facebook. We hopefully are setting up very soon an online reading group, um, which I'm quite excited about. Um, because it will cater more to those people who wouldn't necessarily take out a physical book. Um, Maybe people who are housebound, people who can't get out, people who can't get out because of social anxiety or other mental health issues. Um, And they can still join in and have a sense of community with other people online um, through that online reading group. So that's one thing. That's pretty cool. And she nods her head for radio. (laughs) okay so we're going to take a quick break and when we come back we're going to talk about oh boy what are we going to talk about the success of your coding clubs for kids uh your culture bite festival and if you noticed on the script i put the me in program just for you and about and about because you know americans we can't spell and about (laughs) libraries and digital culture so we'll be back in just a moment Okay, we are back with Lara Marshall from the Hillingdon Library in London. So one thing that we spoke about in prep for today yeah. was our coding club, your coding clubs for kids. Tell us about what's covered, how many kids you have per class, you know, how long is the class, what kind of coding do you cover? And, you know, tell us what maybe you can educate us here on what you guys do and maybe we can kind of glean something from that. Well, I mean, I imagine it would be something quite similar, I think, that we both be doing. But we, we offer these coding clubs, so they're in at least 10 libraries across our 17, and um, they're free, um, and they're where children between sort of 9 to 13 um, come and learn how to code using software. And it's part of the Raspberry Pi Foundation. Um, they're a UK-based charity, and it runs in six-week blocks. So they'll come, say, after school on a Wednesday, every Wednesday for six weeks, and they can learn to code, learn to create their own games, learn to share resources with the other children in the group. And we get a few that love it so much, they'll come back for another six-week block. 
but they pick it up so fast it's incredible really um apparently it has a very practical use for them in school as well so we're sort of helping them get an extra step up the ladder for going back to school well you know it's interesting too because raspberry pis are something that are so incredibly easy to use and once you figure yeah. out how how they work it's a matter of just programming those roms and and, and inserting those sd cards um, to the point where we have we do um, senior programs now with with Pi as well. Oh, nice! That would be like the next step for us. You know, we're like te- hopefully helping the next generation. But I think it would be great to be able to do that with older people. Yeah, and one of the tricks with that too is, especially if they're, I mean, not like super old, like you know, maybe somebody in their fifties, like me, doing the retro <laughs> the retro gaming stuff, because that usually is the the best buy mm. you're going to get from from you know people who were born in the 70s you know oh we're gonna play atari 2600 you know if you were born in the (laughs) 70s not are you 70 born in late late 60s early 70s you're you're making me older as we speak (laughs) it's not intentional i apologize (laughs) (laughs) so yeah i mean retro gaming is something that really attracts it attracts the kids because oh it's more video games and it attracts the adults because yeah i used to play this when i was a kid so that's kind of like where buy-in yeah. starts. And then you say, well, how did you do this? And then you talk about the coding end of it behind it. And then the kids just really fly fly along with it. Do you reckon I'll be able to do like Legend of Zelda with that at some point? There, There is a Legend of Zelda you could do with retro gaming, yeah. Oh, my God. I don't know how legal it is, though. I'm going to do it. I don't know how legal. Oh. I can't. I can't uh, maybe I won't. Yeah, maybe, maybe you won't. Maybe that's not such a good idea. So in talking about Raspberry Pi, you know, it really is cool to see the buy-in that you can get from so many different people because it, it transcends coding. It, it, you know, it just turns into something else altogether. Sometimes when we have classes here, um, we're fortunate enough that we can make the Pi available for the patron to take home after the class because uh, the philosophy that we have. Oh, that's nice. Yeah, I mean, the philosophy is, you know, if you're learning how to do something and then they have to give it back at the end, what's really going to be retained? So we encourage them to take other classes and bring the pie back with them so then they can build on what they've learned. Mm. So, you know, I think that's really nice. Yeah. I mean, it makes some sense. And the pies are so inexpensive now. I think you get them for as cheap as like $26. So it's, it's, yes, it's an expense, but it's actually making an investment in your patrons. And we get the patrons coming back with their pies again because they want to learn or take the next step. And then it's something, it's a good way to. Of them. Yeah, exactly. They're proud of what yeah. they've done, and you know, we're proud of them for wanting to come back and learn more. So, and it transcends mm-hmm. all age groups. So that's really kind of fun too. So, what other yeah. kind of coding do you offer for the kids? So at the moment, that's our sort of new program. So it is very much focusing on this. I don't want to say strict, but you know, it is quite detailed and regimented program so we can make sure we're offering a consistent offer across the whole service once we once we've done that i think for you know a year two years uh we may look into diversifying that slightly looking into you know freeing up a bit more time and being a bit more creative but i mean one thing we're finding is that that the library staff are learning with the kids which is quite interesting and so so we're on this journey with them and yeah at the moment we're taking baby steps oh and and that's that's the way any library should really approach something like this because your staff isn't really going to be proficient you know right off the bat and like the one thing that you said that just really resonates with me is the library staff is learning along with the patrons and that's a great that's a great philosophy to have you know because i can honestly say from doing what i do managing the makerspace i learn something new every single day now, whether or not it retained, yeah. it's a different story. But, you know, you're exposed to all these new different ideas and concepts and, you know, just these cool ideas that walk in the door. And that's the beautiful thing about, you know, managing a makerspace is you never know what's mm. going to walk in the door the next day. Absolutely. And it's just being open to those possibilities and being open to provide people with the space to be, you know, to be able to be creative, you don't have to know everything. I think that's the thing people think that you work in a library, you know everything. You don't. You might be able to find the answer for them, but you you don't necessarily know it all. Right. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. It's it's and 
I think that's one of the misconceptions about libraries. That's a good thing, actually, that, you know, people think that we know mm-hmm. we know everything. But no, but we know how to get you to where you need to be. Yeah, we know to get you there. But yeah, it, it's not. Well, maybe maybe we should say it is. Sure. Why not? Let's start. Let's start the rumor right now. <laughs> we yeah. know everything. 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 All of Google. Right up here. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> So something that occurs every year at Hillingdon is the Culture Bite Festival. Now, I really, really want to hear about this. Tell us how it started, how many years you've been doing it, and how it's evolved into what it is today. Because we do big events here as well. So I want to kind awesome. of borrow some elements from what you do there. Please, please do. Yeah. I mean, um, the Culture Bite Rest Festival is now in its fifth year. Um, I've been leading on it just this year um, by myself, which has been insane and crazy. Um, it started off um, as a collaboration with a local university. They wanted to have a literature festival. And so us as a, a local authority and them as a university, we worked together and created something called Culture Bite. So it wasn't just about literature. I mean, that is my main default. I want to have all the authors in all the world come and talk about their books, but that's not for everyone. And we want to be as inclusive as possible. So it's about culture. It's about art, poetry, books, painting, everything. Um, And it used to be just over a month every October. Now it's all year round. And um, yeah, it's, it's, it's very, very cool. So we've split the months up into themes. So for example, who knew? June is National Crime Fiction Month. Interesting. Shakespeare Week is actually in March, even though his birth and death day is in April. So we've made, uh, yeah, so we've made March all about Shakespeare, all about storytelling, April about St. George's Day. Um, yeah, so try to, you know, throw in a few, you know, sort of natural, uh, national uh, cultural um things as well which has been good and we've been really really lucky actually with the people that we've booked for events have people like Jeanette Winterson uh Karen Rose came over from the US personal favorite she's great Victoria Hislop I keep trying to get Neil Gaiman but (laughs) yeah not yet it's gonna happen soon it's gonna happen we we've had um Chris Riddell who normally has illustrated a few of his books and he is lovely he's a lovely lovely man yeah Neil Gaiman on my on my hit list about trying to ask authors to come to the library just keep trying keep emailing keep emailing keep it and, and and sometimes it works you know sometimes it does and we've been so lucky here that actually publishers will now email myself or one of my colleagues and go oh um this author is 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 on a book tour would you would you possibly fit them in and we're just like yeah awesome that would be great so we're actually getting overbooked now um if that's a thing I don't know. Can you ever have too many events? No. Trust me. No. This is no. where everybody here in Suffolk County rolls their eyes at Sachem. But yeah, we, we do tons of events here. Brilliant. Yeah. I mean, look, it's, it's reinventing what we're doing, right? Mm, absolutely. And it's, again, making the library a educational space. And a community, um, a community center, community too. Space. Yeah. Absolutely. You, you meet other people who maybe love a particular author or love a particular subject or love a particular activity and um you can really create some lifelong bonds you know i've seen people uh friendships being created new relationships um and it's a wonderful thing oh most definitely i know that my daughter's best friend they they met at the library because they do something called battle of the books every year in the county so oh. there's, there's a, they get a, a series of books and this is where uh, my colleagues are going to yell at me because I don't know how many there are. I want to say there's six, there may be seven, there may be five. And they read these books and they have a competition to see who can remember most the details of the book. So that it's like a, you, you go one library against another and they get a score based upon how many questions they answer right. And then they move on to the Hi. next round and the next round and they go to semifinals and finals. So uh, my daughter's best friend was on the team with her and they've been best friends now for two years because of it. These that's, are, that's such these, a great story. Yeah. So, you know, 
the Battle of the Books is really a, a great fun thing because you're getting kids to read and they're remembering mm -hmm. all these details about the book. So it helps them with, you know, retention and, and learning how to study, quite frankly. It's, it's really kind of a neat thing. Yes, absolutely. Absolutely. And it's also just tremendously beneficial for people's well-being. You know, reading and culture and creating something and being around other people is just so good for your for your mental health. And I mean, there's there's a massive well-being initiative in the UK. I don't know whether it's the same in the US, but it, we, we're really pushing into promoting all of the, the physical and the mental benefits for people. Well, it makes sense. We're social animals. And when you become desocialized and you become, you know kind of like on your own without having social interaction every day, it does affect your mental well-being. Yeah, definitely. Yeah. So one thing that's been constantly evolving uh, over time in library land is how libraries have developed this digital culture. Um, having uh, materials available digitally have been, you know, supplanting the physical items at libraries um, that we've always provided. You know, we talked about this before with with books and, and not getting rid of books, but, you know, now we have these other things that were non-traditional reality types of things that are now um, becoming more mainstream. So tell us about Hillingdon and what libraries in the UK overall, I'm not going to say that you know what's happening in every corner of the UK. <laughs> a lot of pressure. <laughs> no, not, yeah. I'm not going to say you're, you're the expert, but yet you said you knew everything. So, um, Oh my God. Oh man, you stepped in that one. So, eat um, my words, yeah, right. So, Tell us what the trend is over in the UK, and I'm going to take a wild stab that it's not that different than what we're doing here in the US. No, I think we're definitely on the same wavelength. You know, we want to be able to provide things to fit in with the social trends, you know, fit in with, you know, books being digital, um, audio books, uh, film, you know, I think, are you um, aware of Stillick? They're the Chartered Institute of Library and Information Professionals. Um, they're like a, a governing body for librarians in the UK. And um, they had some very interesting stats that I've prepped, actually, just for this. We actually have a guest um, who prepared. Wow. Isn't that great? <laughs> um, so, out of, so out of the six major publishers in the UK... Only three offer some of their ebooks to libraries, and over 85% of ebooks are not available to public libraries in the UK, which really restricts us as far as ebooks and audiobooks. So we try and provide as much as we can, but on the reverse side of that, printed books are, you know, um, in demand as well, quite a lot. Along with that, we want to make sure that we're providing um, online resources. And I think our biggest change in books has definitely been reference. We definitely provide actually nearly 100% of our reference stock as a digital resource rather than a physical book. So encyclopedias, textbooks, any sort of like business manuals, anything like that it is completely digital. As long as, yeah, as, as well as any sort of genealogy research, we provide that digitally, uh, journals, magazines, newspapers, the majority of that is now completely online now. Um, so I don't know if that's similar for you. Yeah, sure. I mean, we're doing that here too. I mean, we have New York Times Historical. So if you wanted to read a first person account of what happened, you know, Battle of Gettysburg, mm -hmm. you know, you can actually yes. read it as it's being, as it was reported to the New York Times. So, you know, yeah. think about that in terms of preparing for a book report or, you know, or, or a history project or something like that. We, you know, you talk about your first, your, your primary sources, your secondary sources and your tertiary sources. Um, that's a, just one of many, many examples of things that were available now that certainly weren't available when I was in school. Um, no. So in, in that same breath, if, you know, you need to know how to change your headlight on your, your car. You know, we have all Data Pro here, so people can not only, you know, see how to do that, but if they're bringing it to a mechanic, whether or not the mechanic is charging them for three hours labor when it's really one hour labor, and and that's what the, all the mechanic shops are using. They use all Data Pro to, to figure out. It used to be the book, right? They use this word, the book. It's the book labor. It's two hours to replace, you know, your X Y Z thing. Now it's not the book; it's what is what's what is it in all data pro. So you know, mm. we, we provide that as a resource, and then there's always ancestry and some of the other um, genealogy resources that we have. I mean, yeah. ancestry is amazing. 
and it, the list just goes on and on. You have all your research databases for your education um, databases and your history databases and consumer reports and and all those kinds of things where we have transitioned mm. to the point now where we don't have a reference collection. Yeah. You know, yeah. Physical... Very, very similar. Yeah. So it, and, and it kind of makes me chuckle every once in a while when you get somebody coming and saying, oh, can I check this out? Is this reference only? I said, we check everything out. <laughs> You want to check we'll this plant everything. out over here? You can check the plant out. Yeah. We'll barcode it for you. <laughs> yeah. No, very, very similar. And and just on the subject of, of online resources or digital resources we provide, um, something that we find, especially um, in London and, and possibly other counties as well, is that there's something called a the Life in UK test. So people who are coming over to the UK have to do a test to gain their citizenship. So we, rather than, we used to get loads and loads of people ask for the book, take it out, never bring it back. It used to happen so much. So with this, um, we can, they can do the test online and practice it and go through, you know, previous answer papers and things like that, um, which has been really, really useful. And I think things that constantly keep evolving and constantly keep changing, um, for example, law books. We find there's a new edition out every couple of months. Um, so having that online has been incredibly useful and means that we're providing accurate information, which is most important. What what legal database do you have there? Do you have Westlaw, Lexis? No, I couldn't even tell you. <laughs> all I know, all I know is that it's accurate. <laughs> okay, we'll go with it's accurate. Oh, God, that's, that's the most important thing. Exactly. <laughs> uh, one of my other colleagues works on that. <laughs> oh, okay. Oh, nice. Deferring to a colleague. I like that. So, yeah, I mean, talking about, you know, things like digital culture, like you were saying before you're starting a, um, an online book club, we've done that here at Sachem, and it's been a great success. Um, so Brilliant. So you will have success with it as well because everybody chimes in online. I think they use Facebook for that. So people, they read the book, and they and they – there are questions that go out by the person who moderates, and then there's a discussion online, which is great because, mm. like you were saying before, somebody is a homebound or, you know, mm. is agoraphobic and, and doesn't want to leave the house, but yet still wants to have that connection in one way, shape, or form. It's yeah. one. Of, it's one of the good things in Facebook. You know, the media is always putting all the negative things that are out there on Facebook, um, but it is something that can be a useful tool on social media, whether it's. Instagram, Twitter, uh, Facebook. It, it is another way to interact with your patrons. But I mean, it's, it's just a great way to, to engage those people who don't, who may not traditionally come to a library or may not physically be able to come to the library and yet still interact. And it's nice to interact with patrons digitally when it's not a complaint email. Yes, that is so nice. So what else are you guys yeah. doing over there digitally? I mean, do you do you have any um, any things for archiving or 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 like digital scanning or or, or makerspace kind of? Not things? at the moment. That's, yeah, that's something we're working on. We have a big store underneath the civic center, which is like the town council building, and um, there is some amazing stuff in there. It is like a museum. So we're planning to to be able to you know get all of that digitally scanned, stored, archived, and that will be such a rich resource, I think, especially in local history. Really, really rich resource. Oh, absolutely. I mean, it, it's so much fun. Mm. Just uh, a really good friend of mine who who um, we always give credit for our top 10 list that we're going to hit in the next, um, the next segment, uh, Melanie Cardone. I was actually just speaking with her last night. She's a local history librarian at the, at the Longwood Public Library, uh, a little further east from here. Wow. And her collection is so amazing there's so much rich history in that community going dating back to pre-american revolution um and there's you know american there there's veterans from the american revolution the civil war that are buried there um and, and it's just so rich in history with what happened when when the british sorry the british invaded long island and took over long island <laughs> and you know like we talked about before we we jumped on uh, talking about the Culper spy ring and how a lot of it happened. There was a lot of stuff that happened in Quorum and Yaphank and places like that. And even Yaphank itself is very rich in culture in that 
It was one of the largest proving grounds for American troops to get trained before they were shipped over in World War One and World War Two. So that's Camp Upton, mm. which is, and they, there's she has so many resources with regard to to all of that. And if local history librarians do a, a lot when it comes to the archiving of information, you know, even with Melanie's collection, she's had a few uh, TV show. Actually, there was one TV show that filmed in her local history room interviewing uh, a historian. And others have come there for primary resources to research uh, for television shows. So talking about local history and archiving and, and taking care of all those materials, it really is something that has fallen on libraries because, you know, sometimes you have mm. a, a local history organization or group for a particular town. But when you have it centered in a library, it makes it available for everybody. Exactly. I mean, we get sent all sorts of things and people come in and they donate some quite bizarre objects sometimes. But um, a lot of it, you know, a lot of it, the majority we will keep, you know, because it's important. Um, and we'll archive that in some way, normally through a local history librarian. But I think when people think, where do I donate this? Where do I who who do I give this to to give it a, a bigger benefit to the community? And ninety nine times out of a hundred, they'll give it to a library. Yeah, that's great, isn't it? Mm. It's it's yeah, it's really special. Yeah, I mean, I, I always say this, and people who listen to this podcast are sick of having hearing me say it, but we're the one government agency or quasi government agency that you can come to where we're not charging you a fee unless you're bringing books back late or something. Yes. We're not making you wait in line unless there's a long line to check out a book or, or to get to the reference desk. Mm-hmm. Um, and we're giving you stuff for free with a smile on top of it and, and providing resources and materials and all this stuff just for walking in the door, you know, and, and that really is, I think something special. And when, you don't have an organization that has some type of profit margin or motivation to make money, whether it's applying for a permit to put an extension on your home or, you know, looking for a permit for this, that, or the other thing where, you know, okay, now here's 300 more dollars. Here's another $120 for this. Or here's another thousand dollars for that. Or you didn't get the correct permit for that. Or, you know, we're not or getting pulled over for speeding or something like that. We mm. don't do any of that. I mean, even the trend here, in the states is to get rid of fines altogether for materials i've heard that yeah i think that's a really interesting concept it's, it really is crazy because i suppose the focus should be on and one thing that i like to emphasize is i always thank people for bringing the book back because then more people can read it rather than penalizing them right and at the end of the day if so let's say there's no fine but yet if you don't return the book in a month they bill you for the book but if you bring the book back yes then the, that penalty is waived. Yeah, exactly. So, wow, we covered a lot of ground. Yes. So yeah. Crazy. I think we've fixed the world of libraries. <laughs> Have we really? Yeah. Uh, okay. I'm pretty sure. All right. We'll go with that. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> so, wow. Th- thanks for sharing everything you're doing over in Hillingdon. It sounds like you're doing some really cool stuff there. So thank you for sharing that with us. So when we come back, we're going to be asking Lara our top 10 library questions or what we like to call the 032 list, which is a Dewey number for top 10 lists. And yes, we mentioned Melanie before. We'll mention her again. She was the person that came up with the the, uh, the name, and she's from the Longwood Public Library, and we always thank her for doing that. So we'll be back in just a moment. So t- Okay, we are back with Lara Marshall, who will be our next participant in the 032 list. The questions in our list are inspired by Literary Hub, an informative library-related news site that has stories and interviews related to library land. You can see their work by visiting lithub.com. Visit their site because they educate and inform library land on great topics from all over the world. Thank you, Literary Hub. So you ready? One second. Okay. I'm not as ready as I thought I was. Oh, see that? (laughs) Okay. So, what did you want to be when you were a child? I either wanted to be a writer or a Starfleet captain, um, whichever came first, really. I'm, I'm still waiting. 
<laughs> That's a first. That is a first. We've never had Starfleet. <laughs> I mean, that's a possibility, right? Yeah. <laughs> so what was your first memory of a library and who brought you to the library for the first time? My mum always used to take me to the library, myself and my younger sister. And we went to a library called the Manor Farm Library in Ricelet. Beautiful old 13th century heritage site and historical building. Um and I used to love just walking around, looking at all the all the really old books, you know, with the yellow paper that was almost crumbling. Um, a lot of them were local history books and just poetry and all, all, all the old cassette tapes that you could borrow. I was obsessed with those. <laughs> you get the old cassette tapes? <laughs> well, they're not around anymore, no, you know? No, they're not. <laughs> Holy cow. So... <laughs> When did you decide to work in a library? And if not, what was your first career path? Because many librarians choose this career path as a second profession. Mm. So I've always loved books, you know, reading books, writing stories, always loved it. But it was never something I really thought about as a career. I worked as a, a like a personal assistant, a PA in the city. And um, after, you know, a little while there, it just it became so tedious and so shallow and I thought I really want to do something that's nice with nice people um and a temp job sort of came up at the library that would near to where I live and I thought oh well I'll, I'll stay I'll sort of work here until I figure out what I want to do um and the rest is history 15 years later I'm still here so and I love it it's great it's a really great job. I don't disagree. It's a great profession to be in. Absolutely. So who is your favorite fictional librarian? The librarian from the Discworld series by Terry Pratchett. Are you familiar with him? No. He is an orangutan and um, he can only say ook. But through this, he manages to communicate a lot of things. And he's pretty epic. He like shelves books with his feet. Um, and, and he's magical as well. So he's pretty awesome. Shelving books with your feet. Okay. Yeah. That's, that's pretty interesting. I think we all should be able to do that. <laughs> that would be interesting. Okay. So what, <laughs> what would you be doing if you weren't working in a library? So this is interesting. One of my friends, I was talking to them and they said, you know what, Lara, like when you're not at work or at home, you're always doing something vaguely bookish. So I think the best answer to that is something vaguely bookish. Yes, definitely. Something bookish. That's a new answer. We've heard that out. Something Mm. book, B-O-O-K-I-S-H, bookish. Mm. All right. Mm. Definitely. Bookish. So the next question was originally intended on like fiction, nonfiction, but it could be anything. So what is your favorite okay. section of the library? <gasps> oh, what a question. I think it would have to be sci-fi fantasy because it's my first love. Those were the books that I fell in love with when I started beginning to read. Um, yeah. And so that's my favorite section. If you had infinite space and budget, what would you add to your library? Oh my God. Um, every book ever written is, is that, can I have that please? That would be nice. Um, especially Neil Gaiman, Terry Pratchett, John Wyndham, Virginia Woolf, first editions, first signed editions, um, as well as them. Shakespeare's first folio. That would be amazing. As well as, authors workshops talks activities but yeah it i don't think i could ever stop i think that list is truly endless so what do you love about your library oh i I am based in a small village library even though it's london because we're on the edge of london i'm based in this little library called harefield and what i really like is seeing the same people uh every some people come in every day some people coming once a week some once a month but just really getting to know people um we have a group of child minders kind of like nannies who bring in the kids every day after school and because I've been there for so long and it's so terrifying you see these kids grow up 
And all of a sudden they're like 16 or 18 or leaving home and getting jobs and you can't believe it. But I think it's something really special to share that part of their life growing up um, and that they enjoyed and spent so much time in the library with books. Um, yeah, you know, and then people come in and show pictures of their grandkids or tell me that they're not feeling that great today and then they'll tell me why. Um, and that's that. That's always a, a nice feeling. It's quite life affirming, I think. Okay, oh, so thank you. Here, here's one of our favorite questions: What is the weirdest, not necessarily worst, the weirdest thing that has ever happened in your library that you've seen? Well, Harefield Library definitely has a ghost. Definitely, really? right? I don't know. Libraries say they're haunted and everything. You know, no. It, Definitely. I haven't seen it. Two people have seen this ghost. It's a woman in like 1930s dress. And she's always in one particular area of the library. And she's not sort of threatening or menacing when she materializes, but you'll just catch her out of the corner of your eye and then she'll just disappear. Okay. Why don't you have a webcam pointed towards that area? I've checked the CCTV and she's not on it, even though people have seen it, you know, and um, also, you know, doors bang, things fall over, things get lost. All of a sudden it will go really cold oh, um, wow. for, for, for a reason, <laughs> for a reason better than, you know, the heating not working. Um, yeah, definitely. We just hope she's friendly. Well, she hasn't killed anybody yet, right? Yeah, so she must be. Of course. <laughs> yeah. Wow. <that's laughs> I mean, she's an English ghost. She'd be polite, wouldn't she? You you know? would, especially if she was from that era, right? I know. Right. Of course she would. Yeah, exactly. I'm surprised she's not offered us tea, to be honest. <laughs> wow. We, we could do a podcast just on the ghosts. Holy cow. That's amazing. <laughs> Haunted library. For real. Wow. Okay. For real. For real. So who is your favorite regular patron? Now, you don't have to name names, but you can tell us about who that regular is and why they're the favorite. Does it have to be one? Can it be a group of people? Sure. Why not? There are no rules here. So I think I would say, I mentioned them in my previous answer, but the group of childminders that come in with children every day, they're just, it's just so nice to see the kids grow up and nice to instill a love of reading in every new school year. They'll come with like a new batch of kids, you know, and they're a new batch of kids that will take story time and will come to all our activities and get involved in everything that the library does. And, um, yeah, to see them grow up with a, with, a, with a really nice love of reading and some really nice friendships as well. It's it's really lovely. Um, and on the subject of our wonderful community and wonderful libraries, all our 17 libraries are going to be refurbished, which um, I'm very excited about. So we'll be able to offer even more services to people. That's wonderful. Holy cow, that's great. Do you know what they're going to do? Or do they not know yet? So, you know, they're going to fix them up, lick a paint, um, new flooring, new children's area. Um, so new little interactive seats and, you know, really nice pictures on the walls of characters and um, coffee, new coffee machines, that kind of thing. So our last question is, what are people without library cards missing out on? Well, I was going to say something to something quite similar to what you said previously. So at a risk of sounding like a cliche, they are missing out on a world of possibilities. A library is the last place in the entire world that is all inclusive, free of charge, somewhere where you can come and not be judged, you know, and be able to access there's so many resources, you know, um, you can learn anything, you can ask any question um, and there's no censorship. Um, and it's, uh, yeah, it is, it's just the last place in the world where you can have all of that in one building. It's so, it's so true though, isn't it? Yeah, absolutely. Okay. So you have survived this podcast. Woo 
and survived our top 10 list. So plugs, give us your social media so people can check out the library. So our social media is at Hill, H-I-L-L underscore libraries, Hillingdon Libraries. We're on Instagram at Hillingdon.libraries and then on Facebook, Hillingdon Libraries. So yes, come say hey. Um, Let us know what you thought of the podcast. Be kind, please. (laughs) (laughs) No, you were great. You were a great guest. You were very, very kind. (laughs) No, no, that was great. It was a lot of fun. So thanks for being a great sport and answering our questions. No, you're welcome. And for bearing with all the technical difficulties that we had. Don't worry. I had them too. I I thought I could do it on my Chromebook, but it just wouldn't let me. I think because it's a work Chromebook, I, I can't. I can talk to you outside the UK, but I can't phone you. I, I don't know, something like that. But my phone worked, so that's fine. Okay, so it works. And your battery didn't die. So that's the most important thing. Lara Marshall from the <laughs> Hillington Library. Thank you so much for joining no worries, us today. No Thank you. <laughs> we have come to the end of another episode of The Library Pros, and we thank you for listening. If you have any questions or comments on this or any episode, click on the Contact Us form on our website, thelibrarypros.com. Visit us on Twitter at The Library Pros and on Facebook at facebook.com slash thelibrarypros. Don't forget to tell a friend or colleague and subscribe on Apple Podcasts, Google Play, Spotify, iHeartRadio, or wherever you listen to podcasts. Special thanks to our podcasting engineer, Dean Meyer. Remember, the opinions stated by The Library Pros and their guests are solely those of Chris and Bob, and are not those of the Sachem Public Library, the MS Clark Memorial Library, or any other library. See you next time. You've been listening to the Library Pros Podcast. The Library Pros are brought to you by Pippet Productions and by the Library Pros themselves, Krista Christofaro and Bob Johnson. Special thanks to Sachem Public Library for providing space for this podcast. Until the next turn of the page, I'm your announcer, Carlton Welch.